the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So if all of this is true, that God is good and he's loving and he's merciful and he's kind, then why do we suffer so much? Why do we experience so much calamity and heartache in our lives? I mean, if goodness and mercy are so busy chasing after us, then why do we still face the pain of of illness, the pain of a broken relationship, of betrayal, the pain of financial crisis, the pain of loneliness, the pain of death of a loved one, the pain of disasters, the pain of laming accidents, the pain of incurable diseases, and any other type of suffering imaginable? Why? Why do we have this? In Hebrews 11, verses 35 through 38, after describing some of the wondrous things God did for the heroes of the faith, the author wrote this, Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Wow, why did God allow those terrible things to happen to such faithful people? And for that matter, why does he allow you and me to go through our dark valleys? We'll consider that troubling question today on Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is nearing the conclusion of this series of lessons on Psalm 23, and we are in the middle of a three-part message dealing with the last verse of that wonderful Bible chapter. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sometimes, though, it seems like God's goodness and mercy are following at far too great a distance, doesn't it? Here's Pastor Steve now to help us to begin to understand why that might be. So let's consider what David actually means when he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Well, first of all, it is important to know what these words mean. What does the word goodness mean? What does the word loving kindness or mercy mean? Well, the Hebrew word for goodness essentially means that which enhances and promotes one's welfare. It's talking about something that's beneficial, something that's helpful. This isn't particularly a deep word. It just means something that enhances our lives and is beneficial and helpful. The Hebrew word that is translated loving kindness, sometimes it's translated mercy. It means exactly what it sounds like. Kindness, mercy, favor, steadfast love. In fact, this word actually comes from another Hebrew word that means to bend or, or to bow oneself or to incline oneself. So the thought behind this word is that God's love for us is really condescending in the sense that he stoops. He bends down to serve us by being kind and merciful to us, extending his grace and his favor to us. 
So what David is saying then is that he is absolutely sure that throughout his lifetime, right up to the day he dies, God's goodness, those things that will promote his welfare, meaning David's welfare, and God's loving kindness, his acts of compassion and grace towards David will follow David, will follow him. And by following him, note this, David doesn't mean that they're going to nonchalantly or casually tag behind as if they had just, you know, nothing better to do. No, the, the word that David chooses to use here, this word that's translated follow, means to pursue. It means to chase someone. It is the same word that is often used in the Old Testament to speak of, of military troops pursuing each other in battle. So what David is saying then is that God is so determined to extend his, his goodness and his kindness in his life that he won't ever let him out of his loving care. The Lord makes sure that he continuously pursues David with his mercy right up to the day that he dies. Charles Spurgeon called these two divine virtues of goodness and mercy, he called them God's twin guardian angels. Spurgeon said this, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and my beck. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended. So it is with the believer. Goodness and mercy follow him always, all the days of his life, the black days as well as the bright days, the days of fasting as well as the days of feasting, the dreary days of winter as well as the bright days of summer. It's a great quote. It's a great truth. So how is it? How is it that that God's goodness and loving kindness follow us so diligently and yet at the same time we can suffer so much? How is it that we have both of these going on in our lives? How do we reconcile God's kindness to us when we are experiencing so much adversity, so much suffering? Well, first of all, we need to understand that this reality of experiencing both God's kindness and suffering pain at the same time, that's an experience that is unique to the life of someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. That's a unique experience of of a Christian. You see, David is speaking as one of the Lord's sheep to others, to other sheep who are part of the same flock. He's not saying that goodness and mercy will follow someone who has rejected the Lord and salvation. That's, that's not the case, and that's not what he's saying. So we understand that this is a unique experience of a redeemed individual, someone who has experienced conversion and who knows Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I would not expect an unbeliever to have any understanding of what David is talking about here. None at all. To those who are without Christ, suffering and tragedies are usually interpreted as God either not being sovereign enough to stop those tragedies or not being loving and good enough to stop them from occurring. As one person I recently read about said, when asked how to understand the great tragedy that had befallen some children, this person said, well, I guess God made a mistake this time. But a true believer in Christ would never think and never say such a thing as that because he knows that God is perfectly holy, and therefore he never makes a mistake or does an error. He also knows that God is sovereign as well as he is loving. But knowing these truths doesn't mean that we don't struggle with them. 
We do struggle with them at times. We struggle trying to reconcile why a loving God who promises to have his goodness and loving kindness follow us all the days of our lives would still, in his sovereign plan, send us pain and suffering at the same time. So how do we biblically think our way through this? Well, it's important to understand that whenever we're tempted to doubt this, whenever we're tempted to doubt God's goodness, you can count on it. You can trace that doubt, that temptation, right back to Satan himself. And we know that these doubts come from him because right at the very beginning of man's history, in his conversation with Eve in the Garden of Eden, the devil accused God of not being loving, of not having our first parents' best interests at heart. Let me show you this. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the, of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice, the first thing that the devil did is he denied the word of God. Eve said, if we eat this, we're going to die. He said, no, you won't. God is lying to you. It's not true. Then he accused God of not caring about them. He said, you won't die. God is lying. You won't die. And he doesn't care about you because if he did care, then he wouldn't hold this fruit back from you. See, he doesn't want your eyes to be open because then that would make you like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. So in forbidding you of this one fruit, he's withholding something good from you because God is not good. That's what he's saying. But the Bible says that Satan is a liar. Jesus said that. God himself says that Satan is a liar. And he was lying about God not being good when he spoke to Eve. And he lies to you whenever he whispers in your heart that God can't possibly love you like he says he does, or else he wouldn't let you suffer so much. A good and loving God wouldn't do that, he tells us. See, in contrast to what Satan says about God's love and goodness, Scripture emphatically declares that God in his character and in his essential nature is good. And because he is good, he does good for his people. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love this. Psalm 31 verse 19, How great is your goodness which you have, note this, stored up for those who fear you. God has stored up his goodness. So great. Psalm 25 verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord. Jesus, remember what he said to the rich young ruler? He said, no one is good but one. That is God. God is good. In addition, Scripture reveals that God is loving. He's not only good, he's loving. And he demonstrates his love to his people as well as his goodness. Psalm 32 verse 10, he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Shall surround him. No matter how difficult a time we may be going through, God 
promises never to remove or take back his loving kindness from us because his loving kindness, as David says, follows us, follows us, chases after us, pursues us all the days of our lives. Listen to this, Isaiah 54, verse 10. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. What a tremendous truth. And of course, the greatest demonstration of God's love, the greatest proof of his love is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, namely the sacrificial atoning death by which he saved us from our sins. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can look it up on your own, but the Apostle John goes on to expand on God's love for us in Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he just even expands on it. So if all of this is true, that God is good and he's loving and he's merciful and he's kind, then why do we suffer so much? Why do we experience so much calamity and heartache in our lives? I mean, if goodness and mercy are so busy chasing after us, then why do we still face the pain of of illness, the pain of a broken relationship, of betrayal, the pain of financial crisis? The pain of loneliness, the pain of death of a loved one, the pain of disasters, the pain of laming accidents, the pain of incurable diseases, and any other type of suffering imaginable. Why? Why do we have this? Well, let me say, frankly, we don't always know why we suffer. We don't always know why we suffer. Sometimes we just have to honestly admit that we don't know why God sends suffering into our lives. And we don't know how that suffering works together with his goodness and love following hard after us. We don't want to be like Job's friends. Job's friends thought they knew what was going on with Job, and so they gave him all kinds of of advice, but they were absolutely clueless. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, God rebukes them because they didn't know what they were talking about. We don't want to be like that. In his book, Is God Really in Control?, which is a follow-up, to the book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. Author Jerry Bridges writes this about suffering. When we don't understand, then we can't see any benefit to it. He writes, does God explain to us what he's doing in adversity? There is no indication that God ever explained to Job the reasons for all of his terrible suffering. As readers, we're taken behind the scenes to observe the spiritual warfare between God and Satan. But as far as we can tell from Scripture, God never told Job about that. Job never, as far as we know, never understood why he had to go through such a trial. Folks, there are times in our lives when God just doesn't make it clear to us He doesn't make it clear to us either why, if he's so good and loving, that we have to experience so much pain in our lives. He doesn't make that clear to us. Why that that works, how that works together, what he's doing. But we do know that there is a reason. We know that there's a reason and that in spite of our pain, God knows what he's doing. We may not know the reason, but God does. He knows what he's doing, even if he doesn't reveal that reason to us. And I say that, I say that because of the words found in Isaiah chapter 55. Let me read this to you. This is just wonderful. Isaiah 55 verses 8 
and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about that. God is telling us that we don't understand all that he's doing. In fact, we don't understand a lot of what he's doing. His thoughts are so great. Commenting on these words, one Bible teacher said this, the implication is that just as the heavens are so high above the earth that by human standards their height cannot be measured, so also are God's ways and thoughts so above those of man that they cannot be grasped by man in their fullness. In other words, the ways and thoughts of God are incomprehensible to man. So there are times that we just don't understand how to reconcile God's love with the pain that he has ordained for our lives, but we don't have to understand it. Because Paul wrote that we walk by faith and not by sight. See, the only way to have peace in the midst of that pain is to apply our faith. To really believe in our hearts, to count on this truth that what God says in his word is absolutely true. That his twin virtues of goodness and mercy are following us even when we can't see them. And that he being wise has sent this pain into our lives for a good reason, a reason that he deems necessary. Once again, listen to these very helpful words from our friend Jerry Bridges. He says, if we are to experience peace in our souls in times of adversity, we must come to the place where we truly believe that God's ways are simply beyond us and stop asking him why or even trying to determine it ourselves. This may seem like an intellectual cop-out, a refusal to deal with the really tough issues of life. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's a surrender to the truth about God and our circumstances as it is revealed to us by God in his inspired word. What a great statement. Great. So there are times when we suffer and we may never understand why or how God's kindness fits in with that suffering, at least not in this lifetime. But there are other times When God does give us some insight and some explanation as to the reason that we're suffering. For example, sometimes he brings suffering into our lives in order to demonstrate his glory and his power in a very unique way. And I'd like you to see this illustrated in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, it's a story of Lazarus and Jesus. In John chapter 11, we read starting at verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus let Lazarus, his friend, die. When word reached him, he was just sick. But he let him die. He didn't rush off to heal him. And the sisters of Lazarus were disappointed. 
And they didn't understand why the Lord would let his friend and their brother die. In fact, they say this in verse 21. After the Lord gets there, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus did let Lazarus die. And the question is why? So that he would be glorified by raising Lazarus from the dead. And that was all part of our Lord's plan to bring about the events that eventually led to his death. Let me show you a little bit further. Same chapter, notice, starting in verse 47. This is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and people are excited about this, and they're telling everybody about this, and they tell the Jewish religious leaders about this. And so we read in verse 47, Therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it's expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Meaning, he didn't know what he was really saying. He's just saying Jesus has to die. He has to die. God sovereignly was making a statement through him, but he didn't have any clue. Verse 52, and now, not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. It was all part of God's plan that he did not come and heal Lazarus because he had a greater purpose in all of this. Now, it wasn't apparent to anyone at the time why Jesus let Lazarus die and why he let Mary and Martha, his sister, suffer so much. This is their only brother. They know the Lord. They've seen the Lord heal other people. And he doesn't heal their brother and his friend. But listen, God's goodness and his love were still following them. And it eventually became apparent as to his good purposes in their suffering. But at the time, they didn't know. You see the same thing in the sufferings of Joseph in the Old Testament. In Genesis, we read about Joseph, one of Jacob's son, who suffered greatly and unjustly. First, his brothers sell him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt where his master's wife lies and maliciously accuses him of trying to physically violate her. So he's thrown into prison and he's a forgotten man in prison. And at this point in his life, who would blame Joseph if he wondered why God sent so much suffering and and pain in his life? But eventually, it becomes clear to Joseph Because through divine providence, he's released from prison to interpret a dream by Pharaoh. And then as a result of this, he becomes prime minister of the entire country of Egypt, where he is put in the position now to save the Jewish nation, the fledgling nation from dying due to starvation from a worldwide famine. I once heard a preacher describe Joseph's situation this way. He said that just before each new disaster came along, the Bible would say the Lord was with him. The preacher kind of jokingly said that if he was in Joseph's shoes, he would probably by this time be asking God to go be with someone else for a while. Have you ever felt like asking God to just leave you alone for a while? It can be difficult sometimes to remember that our Good Shepherd's kindness and mercy really are following us all the days of our lives, no matter how it looks. 
Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for more than 30 years, and these broadcasts are part of that ministry. If you've been blessed, or if you have questions about your faith or the Bible, give us a call at 727-441-1714. To listen again to today's class or to download any of our audio files, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. There's no charge for any of those downloads, but if you do want to help with the expenses of keeping Verse by Verse on the air, we provide that information as well at versebyverseradio.org. You know, it's not easy to remember that what some people might mean for evil against us, God always means for good. As far as we know, Joseph kept that in mind throughout all of his setbacks. I hope you've been encouraged to do the same. David ended this psalm with the confident declaration, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Join us for the next verse-by-verse and Pastor Steve's conclusion of this series on the 23rd Psalm. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.